The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. You are listening to Crosscheck Substance Abuse Radio, hosted by two-time Stanley Cup winner and hockey legend Kevin Stevens. Through hard-hitting discussion, personal testimonies, and cutting-edge resources to help battle the disease, Crosscheck is dedicated to ending the stigma and shame behind addiction and bringing forth the hope and support for those suffering from addiction to power forward and overcome it. Let's join Kevin Stevens and his team now on Crosscheck Substance Abuse Radio. Hello, this is Kevin Stevens of Crosscheck Substance Abuse Radio. Welcome. Today we've got a great show. Our um, first guest is a very interesting guy. He's been uh, seen a lot of sports injuries. You know, we're lucky to have him here, so I'll let uh, Andy take it from here. Thank you, sir. How's everybody? Well. Well, um, joining us today in, uh, in the hot seat is Shannon DeMille from Clean Slate Centers. Hello. How are you? A, a good. How are you? And then Jumpin' Joe Diaz wearing his I'm Terrible shirt. Shout out to um, our Pittsburgh friends and um, great shirt. Um, Alyssa is on assignment, as is Willie Drinkwater. So before we get started with Dr. Thomas Gill, let's talk to Kevin about uh, the Red Sox. Huh. At the start of the season, I don't know if you remember, I said Red Sox will win over 100 games. You said 94. Do you remember that? Oh, I didn't say that, but you also said the Pirates are going to be good, and they stink. So, you know, that's, uh, <laughs> that's you know, you, you're one and one you know, When the Pirates started out five and one, and you said, oh, they're going to be great. So, yeah, wait about four months. No, it was the Orioles. Games under. It was the other team, the Orioles, who you said they might win one game, and you were very close. No, it's uh, Red Sox pretty good. What a run they had. What a, what a great, you know, it's very hard to do to go through the Yankees, Astros, and Dodgers and lose one game to each team. And 7-1 and one on the road, that's probably the biggest thing, you know, to sweep the Astros three in a row at home and two with the Yankees and win. Went in L.A. That's that's tough to go seven one on the road to playoffs in any sports stuff. I will tell you that I've watched baseball my whole life, and I I've never seen a more dominant team. Maybe the '98 Yankees, but they are they were so good. So let's get to it. Let's get to our first guest. Dr. Thomas Gill is a national and internationally recognized leader in sports medicine, and was named the top orthopedic surgeon in 2017 by Boston Magazine. He is the director of Boston Sports Medicine Research Institute. He is professor of orthopedic surgery at Tufts Medical School and chairman of the orthopedic surgery at St. Elizabeth's Medical. He has also served as medical director for the Red Sox and team physician for the Pats. How's that? Lengthy, right? It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank, thank you for coming on. We uh, we wanted you to come on the show today to kind of get your expert opinion about the opioid crisis from a physician's perspective. Can you kind of give us some more insight to that? Yeah, I think there's a lot of different angles to it. First of all, it's it's truly a tragedy, and and what I mean by that is people think it's you know that's something that happens to somebody else or somebody else's family. And I can promise you, there's no one that listens to this that doesn't know a person, have a friend, or their own family or members been affected by this. And it, it, it's not this kind of rare thing that happens on the other side of town. It doesn't matter how rich you are. It doesn't matter how poor you are. It doesn't matter what you do for a job. Across every occupation, every demographic, there's people affected with this curse. Doc, you, you work a lot with the athletes. And, you know, in my case, I see it now that, you know, the opiates – they're okay for a little bit, but, you know, like you say, we can't stay on these things. You know, I think that's what people, you know, people that don't really know anything about opiates, their families say, you know, here the doc gives them a 30-day script. 
They say, okay, we'll take it for 30 days. I think education is very important that these these families know the right way to do this stuff, you know? There's, there's probably two subgroups of patients, athletes, that be, will become at risk, I think, for an opioid epidemic. And one, fortunately, with a lot of advances in sports medicine, is less of an issue now than probably when you played, which yeah. is, you know, there's the group that has, an, a, a, you know, you go down, you're on the ice, you, you twist your knee, you get a bad medial collateral ligament injury. It hurts, right? It hurts yeah. like heck. You know, you're in Pittsburgh. you got to get on a plane and fly to L.A., you know, you got to try to control your pain somehow. And I think kind of back in the day, it was, you know, easier, more expedient. Give someone some Vicodin, give mm-hmm. someone a Percocet. That's going to get rid of their pain. The athlete feels better. You know, the team wants the athlete to feel like he's being well taken care of. But nobody's keeping track, you know, back then of how many, like how many Percocet have you had? How many Vicodin have you had? And then the longer you take it, you know, the efficacy starts to go down a little bit. So you need more to have the same level. And I think one of the good things about sports medicine is we've studied this problem so much now that we realize there's really very few acute injuries that you truly need opioids for. We have so many alternative options, whether it's Toradol, you know, mm-hmm. which would be probably another topic of discussion, which is like an injectable anti-inflammatory, an injectable Motrin, but has the same efficacy as an opioid. I use it after my surgeries all the time now rather than opioids. You know, there's Neurontin, there's high-dose anti-celebrex, uh, you know, for a long time Vioxx. Right. As a medication of choice instead of opioids. So there's a lot of different options, plus with splinting and icing, you just don't need a lot of opioids anymore for acute injuries. Now, if you have a bad fracture or something, mm-hmm. sure, but very short term. The biggest issue, like you said, is, is the post-op patient, right? Because someone goes home, here's a prescription for 60 or 100, and no one keeps, because it's just easier to give you a big prescription than have a patient call back and then have to give a refill for a prescription. And then someone, you know, someone else in the family mm-hmm. finds them in a, in the medicine cabinet right. where someone else has an injury and they say, hey, Kev, can I borrow your medicine? I know you just had something, and they'll grab yours. That's how problems really start. Now, my question to you is when we were talking about this, sports medicine, I think people think that um, sports medicine is just limited to the athlete, right? 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 Could, couldn't be less true, but yes. And so if I'm a construction guy and I have a bad shoulder, I can come to sports medicine. Can you can, can you explain why sports medicine is for everybody? Yeah, if you think about it, there's very few injuries outside of sports that don't also happen in sports. So when we think of sports medicine, we think of ACL tears and reconstructions and shoulder dislocations and meniscus cartilage tears and things like that. But, you know, you go down on a football field or a hockey rink, you know, you can get fractures, right? You can get foot and ankle injuries. You can get hand, wrist, elbow. I mean, there's, every, there's no part of the body concussion, neurologic problems. Sports medicine really encompasses absolutely every injury that can occur with sports, but there's also very few things that happen on a construction site that couldn't happen on a football field or an ice hockey rink or soccer field when you think of it's trauma, right? It's just a, it's a blunt trauma. It's a fall, a twist, a pivot. And so when you think of a sports medicine doctor, think of basically anything that doesn't involve a joint being replaced, like for arthritis, Okay. A lot of times, a sports medicine doc is your is your good first point of contact. That's great information. You know, you know another thing, doc, that I was thinking about is, you know, being an athlete, it's easy for me to get pain medication. Like I can go to any doc. I don't have to go. Like, I I can hear of a good doctor that's you know, and and he doesn't even have to see me. And I think those are no, he sees me, but then after a while, it's just like I just come in and get the script or whatever because I'm an addict and I was doing it that way, so I know it's out there. And I think that's a 
an important from your point of view. You know, the docs is we. You know, obviously awareness is huge, right? Well, I, th I think, and you nailed it, Kevin, because I think a lot of times people say, "Hey, I see I must get Kevin Stevens is coming in, or Kevin Stevens called," and you know, I think that there are probably some practices or doctors out there that think that's going to be a, a feather in their cap if they're taking care of Kevin. So I can, how can I make you happy? Yeah. Maybe then you'll refer your teammate to me, mm -hmm. and I'll get known as one of the Penguins or Bruins kind of doctors and stuff like that. I mean, it's the worst possible type of thinking, and I really hope that that's more of a historical problem than a current problem. But, you know, when people, it's the celebrity. If you have a celebrity, people always try to make the celebrities kind of happy for one reason or another. And I always say a lot of times it's the celebrity that gets worse care not better because rather than having a formal office visit and sitting down and kind of going through things thoroughly, mm -hmm. you know, we're trying to do things on the fly for you because we don't yeah. want to slow you down. We know your schedule is busy. Here, let me give you this. It's a way to ingratiate themselves. I don't know. It's just, it's a real risk, you yeah. know, for any kind of celebrity at any level. Yeah, I, I think it's true because I, when I played for the Rangers, that's kind of like I kind of ended up that told my current. I and when I was stuck on the opiates, I'd go to Connecticut because that's where my doctor for the Rangers was. So it was kind of easy for me to go. It's easy pickings, but I think you're right because I think it's got so because with the opiate crisis going on out there, there's so much more awareness with the doctors, and I think that's a, you know, that's a credit to the doctors because it, it was an easy, easy thing out there for a long time. And one of the actually one of the great things that's happened now, you know, you could come see me. And I could give you a prescription for an opioid. But then you could turn around the next day, go see Andy. You know, Andy's you know, he's give you another guy, and he'll give you a prescription. Mm -hmm. And one pharmacy wouldn't be talking to another pharmacy. So no one had any idea yeah. how much pills you've actually been prescribed. Yeah. So I think, certainly in this state, we've made some great new kind of rules on pharmacies talking to each other. So anytime I would need to get a prescription, there's a central database that we know now and I hope patients and people listening to this understand that this isn't doing it because we're trying to catch and be mean yeah. to people. We're trying to prevent more opioid addiction. And so we know how much pain medicine now people are taking. And I get phone calls now. If I write, if I write you a prescription, I'll get a call from a pharmacist that says, hey, Dr. Gill, did you know that Kevin was given a prescription for this so we could go by so-and-so? And nine times out of ten, I would have no idea. Yeah. Does that happen a lot? It used to happen more put it that way. And I think with a lot of the awareness, as Kevin was talking about earlier, the more awareness there is of this crisis, it's happening a lot less. Yeah, I, I think the pharmacies um, have really, really taken a big step because I, I can tell you when I was out there 10 years ago, you, like you just said, I could go to CVS and get them filled in. If I needed something tended, I'd go to a mom and pop pharmacy where they wouldn't talk. You know, when I, toward the end here, three years ago, you know, it was once a month and everybody knew exactly what was going on. And I think that's the pharmacies job too is to kind of be aware of this uh crisis. absolutely you know that's that's a big thing dr gill i had a question about youth sports and um with the rise in youth sports and the crazing youth sports how often do you see youth athletes and what would you advise to young athletes about specifically the parents sure no i see youth athletes all the time i still taking care of western high school for 20 years now and um, you know, we see people in our practice anywhere from 13 or 14 years old to 80 years old. You know, it's the whole spectrum. It depends on, you know, the older patients tend to have more shoulder. Sorry, Andy, I know you've got a few shoulder problems. I, I don't mean to I call do. you an older patient. Yeah, no, that's okay. I'm old. A lot of the older people tend to have <laughs> shoulder problems. But, you know, the, a lot of the younger athletes, you know, and, and, and the, the biggest problem with the youth sports now is, you know, Kev, you, when you were probably coming up, you probably played, I mean, yeah, you were obviously great hockey player, but you probably played a couple other sports yeah, as well, right? You probably, baseball, yeah. yeah, so even at your level, you're playing football and baseball. Yeah. I challenge you to find a kid who's going to become the next Kevin Stevens on the ice 
who's also playing football, and it doesn't exist anymore. Wow. You're playing the same sport year-round, oftentimes on two or three teams, the school team, the town team, the select team. The number of overuse injuries is just off the charts, and I think there's so much pressure now. And having, you know, As a father of three kids, and you know, my daughters are going through recruiting right now, my son went through a recruiting process, it's so hard to get into colleges now that if you don't have that hook, that recruiting, it's really tough to get in. So I think there's a huge amount of pressure for kids to excel at their sports, and if it's their, say, their junior year, and they're trying to get the looks, and if they're, if they're not on the field, they don't get the looks. I think there still are probably kids that are taking supplements of some sort, whether they're opioids, whether they're performance-enhancing drugs, whatever they are, to keep them on there and and not have to lose time. It's sad. It yeah, really is. Yeah, I, I agree. I have two. I have my older guy plays hockey at Yale, and I got a younger guy that's prep school at he goes to Nobles, and he's going to Yale to play hockey too. And like you said, when they when my older guy hit twelve, we, he played baseball. He played when he hit twelve or thirteen, no more baseball because there was so much hockey in the summer. And like he was missing these big tournaments, and, and like you're talking about, people are seeing him. He had he thought he was missing something by playing, you know, missing these hockey tournaments instead of playing baseball. My younger guy stopped at ten, you know. So it was kind of like it's crazy. You know, when, when I played hockey, I always hear about, you know, there was three sport athletes. All these guys yep. are good athletes. You don't ever, ever, like you said, you don't see it anymore because there's so much pressure at a young age. If you're a good player to go play college or you want to be a pro player, it's amazing how it's all focused on one sport, which is crazy to me. And the downside to that also is I don't think coaches and people and parents realize is that you were probably a better athlete, better hockey player because you the skills you were learning yeah. in your other yeah. sports, the hand-eye, yeah. the everything. It's when you just play one sport, you're not cross-training, you're not you know, developing the other muscle groups. The best athletes I've seen in one sport are, are cross-sectional athletes that, you know, you look at Michael Jordan, you know, the guy's yeah. greatest basketball player that ever lived, but not a bad baseball player either. Right. He's not as good as he thought he was at baseball, yeah. but still outstanding. And it's that type of crossover talent because he played more than one sport. Yeah, and, and, and like my guys, they, they finish, then they, they live in Duxbury, so they drive to Foxville, and they train for the one sport. They, just, they see the specific trainer just for hockey. So it's all about, it's, tw- it's 12 months a year, every single day, hockey, 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 which, you know, it's nice to be focused on something you want. You know, they love it, and it's awesome, but it's crazy how it's changed the mentality. Yeah. If you look at in, in uh, you know at the NFL level now, when I was with the Patriots, with the, when I was with the Bruins, it was less of an issue. I think when there was there was so many games that there weren't players requesting, unless it was the playoffs, for instance, you know, Tordal, which again is injectable Motrin type of thing, or pain medications as much because you know with opioids, there's a it's an adverse effect on your performance. You know, it's tough to be you know on national television and performing at a high level if you're on an opioid, whereas if you had you know, this Toradol or some injectable that was a pain medication but didn't cause um, the adverse effect on performance, people would want it. And a huge use of pain meds in sports historically is not just to treat an injury once it's happened, but it's before a game even starts because players will say, I could take a hit and it wouldn't affect me as much. It wouldn't hurt as much. Um, I could get through a game and not have to come off as much. And then big thing was that it helped me recover the next day. Yeah. Like I didn't have the same aches and pains and soreness because there's this whole theory in anesthesia, like when you give anesthesia before surgery, if I numb up your knee or your shoulder before the surgery, before the body even senses pain from my knife, that the body doesn't experience pain afterwards. So it's like a preemptive analgesia, it's called. And there's a lot of athletes today that are still looking. You know, there was a lot written in the papers about Toradol in the NFL, and there'd be 25, 30 guys lined up to get a Toradol shot before a football game. 
some of them treating an injury that they had, but a lot of them because just so they didn't feel as much pain during the game, and then a lot because it allowed them to recover faster. It's not a controlled substance. It's not an opioid. There's nothing illegal about it. But obviously there's a big perception problem, and there's, and there's the potential for abuse. So as a field in sports medicine, we've just gotten much, much better recognizing the potential for abuse and how to avoid it. Yeah, I, I took that toward all. I remember when I hurt my – I had to get my meniscus in the playoffs. I had to get it fixed, but I didn't want to get it fixed now. So I remember taking that turtle, and, and it worked. But I, I think it was after a while, Doc, it became a mental thing for me where it was like I, I knew it's going to help me. you know. And it wasn't like you said. It's not something that's bad. I just you knew I only took it right before the game, a couple hours before the game, whatever. You know, well, first of all, it, it is actually a, a very effective medication. Yeah. Like I said, I use it instead of opioids. And a lot of my – I try – we're really working at St. Elizabeth's now to get to almost to a completely opioid-free surgery. So mm. There's a couple of new long-acting anesthetics that we're using now to try to avoid need for pain meds. There's these new other types of uh, injections that actually freeze the skin nerves so that they don't huh. experience the pain now. So there's a lot of different things we're doing. But I think that by, again, preemptively being able to avoid the pain – Hopefully that avoids the needs for opiates, and then you don't have to get, you know, end up getting hooked down the road. Yeah, and I think it's so important because that we educate, like you said, to kind of keep because families don't know. Like you, if you write a script for a family that lives in need, like my family was, you know, you live in a bubble sometimes. You know, you don't know about opiates. People know about it now, but when I was growing up, it wasn't like no one really knew about this disease. Now it's out there, but still, families in need in the West, wherever, they don't really know really because it, none of their families aren't affected by it yet. They might have younger kids, and I think it's important that they know that if they get a 30-day script, you don't have to take the 30 days, you know, medication. And that's the hardest thing I think for families, for all of us to kind of understand, is because when Doc gives you something that says take this twice a day, they take it till it runs out. Then you get some of these kids get stuck, right? You're absolutely right, Kevin. And if there's one positive ray of hope, I actually heard this from my dad. I have two daughters. I didn't know yeah. your son went to Nobles. I have two daughters yeah. who went through Nobles. One was a hockey player. Oh, she actually just graduated last yeah, year. That's great. But and, uh, Tom Reeser was a great coach. Yeah, but, awesome. but um, it's if nothing else, the awareness. Like I had no idea my my uh, my daughters knew about a lot of the pain meds. And yeah. you come here, have hear them come home now talking about oxy's. Or I, was, yeah. I saw someone was on oxy's. I'm like, yeah. well, do you even know what oxy is? Yeah, oxy, what is oxy? But, but they, they know a lot of the buzzwords now. Mm. They're aware of it. Why would they take it? Why are they on that? Mm. I really believe that the public service announcements and the education is actually starting to sink in, not just at our level, mm -hmm. But at the kids' level, which I think is where it's most critical. Yeah. In our closing minute or so, can you give us an idea of if somebody's out there and they're struggling with pain, can you give them any kind of suggestions of what they should do if they haven't gotten treatment or they what could they do? Absolutely. The first, second, and third thing I would say is do not, and Kev, I'm sure you can back me up on this, do not try to beat this alone. Do not try to handle your pain alone, period. It's because if I think there's a stigma about this being a chronic pain patient, and I think in the medical field, people always worry about, oh, this guy is a pain seeker or a pill seeker, a chronic pain seeker. It's tell either a family member, a friend, or go to even your, just your primary care doctor and say, look, I'm having a problem with chronic pain right now. I'm having a problem. There are so many pain programs out there right now, and not just programs, but well-educated really effective solutions to pain that the first thing is to say, look, I have a problem with it, and ask for help. If you don't ask for help, I promise you, your friend who lives down the street who's got a buddy who's got some leftover pills from a surgery, that is not the solution. That's a big part of the problem. Okay. So yeah. you go to someone, talk to your doctor. Yeah, just like kind of how we work this, yeah. uh, our program, Dr. Tyner, stay sober. Is, you can't do this thing alone. You can't 
Fight no pain alone. You can't no do way. any of this stuff alone, right? There's so much, and there's so many people that will help you, right? There's so many good people out there that will help you with the pain to get you on the right path so you can get through this thing without opiates. We all know we don't need these. It's an easy way to do things is take the opiates. You know, it's a lazy way, to lazy man's job to do. And there's so many different ways we can get through this. Dr. Gill, thank you so much for coming Pleasure, on. Jenny. Can we have you back on again? Would love it. All right, That's great. great. You're listening to Crosscheck Radio. You're listening to Crosscheck Radio with your host, Kevin Stevens. We'll be right back after these messages. My name is Richard Morse, founder and chairman of Boston Financial Management. For more than 40 years, we have been dedicated to the creation and preservation of wealth for our clients. We strive to develop and implement individual investment programs to address the specific needs of each and every client. BFM is pleased to support Crosscheck Radio's mission of providing education and awareness about the drug addiction crisis currently facing this nation. We believe this program will increase awareness and begin to move the nation towards a better understanding of the crisis and ultimately to a solution. Boston Financial Management is proud to take an active role in promoting Power Forward, aired by Crosscheck Radio, and believe all communities and individuals will benefit with a greater knowledge about the current opioid crisis. For more information about Boston Financial Management, please visit our website at bfminvest.com. Clean Slate Centers is an outpatient clinic with a strong commitment to expanding access to medication-assisted treatment to help fight the opioid epidemic. Our primary mission is to help the underserved population reclaim their lives from substance abuse disorder. Clean Slate has 44 centers in eight states, and we pride ourselves on providing compassionate and effective physician-led treatment across all of our locations. We provide evidence-based care using the current guidelines established by the American Society of addiction medicine. Clean Slate's knowledgeable and caring team focuses on treating each patient as an individual while placing an emphasis on personal accountability. This is an effective method and will help those in need manage their addiction. The combination of individualized medical, behavioral health, and case management services has been shown to be the most effective treatment for people experiencing substance abuse disorder. For more information or to schedule an intake, please call 413-341-1780. That's 413-341-1780 or visit www.cleanslatecenters.com. We are also a proud supporter of Crosscheck Substance Abuse Radio. At Tracy, come in and see the difference for yourself. They have the largest selection. I found my dream car here. The choices are endless. There is no pressure. No pressure. No pressure. We'll help you make the best decision. We've bought 30 vans here. I love my new car. They put the fun back into buying a car. I wouldn't go anywhere else. Everybody wants a good deal. It's one of the reasons I keep coming back. Experience the rock-solid difference. Tracy Chevrolet Cadillac, exit 6 off Route 3, Plymouth, Mass. Hi, this is Dr. Lanise Bias. You're listening to my friend Kevin Stevens on Crosscheck Radio. It's time to power forward. It's time for our favorite time of the week. Dear Maria with Maria Ulmer from Delphi Behavioral Health and Serenity at Summit in Haverhill, Mass. She is a licensed family therapist, and she joins us each week to talk about different topics that the public is interested in asking. And Shannon DeMille is going to do the honors today. Take it away, Shannon. And first, hi, Maria. Hi, Andy. How you doing? Very good. How are you? Good. 
Good. Thanks, uh, as always. Shannon, take it away. So, Maria, it looks like we have a question from Susan F. from Plymouth. She asks, my daughter just left a 90-day facility for an opiate addiction. Of course, her problems are still there, and we're worried about her long-term recovery. What advice do you have for us as family members? It's a great question, Shannon, and thank you for for writing that in. What we absolutely know is the longer we can have time of stabilization for the brain, physically, emotionally, psychiatrically, is the best plan. And families often struggle with this. What is the best? thing to do for my loved one. Many want to bring them right home. Okay, great. They just finished detox and a little bit of time in treatment. Now they're ready to embrace the world again and, and you know return to the family or to whatever the disposition was before treatment. And we really caution families uh, to take this a very slow process to evaluate with a clinical team um, involving the uh, clinician, doctor, um, the family members, and the patient to identify what the goals are to achieve. And it's beyond 90 days for sure. We wanna have the brain have time to repair itself, to begin to evaluate decision-making, impulse control, and really emotion regulation, which for many individuals who um, are dependent on a substance, really struggle with being able to one, identify feelings, and two, how do I cope and deal with them, which ultimately impacts everyday life. It's a matter of whether I get a parking spot today or I hit traffic today or my day didn't go well, how we are able to manage those kinds of everyday situations without going back to using a substance. So the more time we can spend away from that substance to, to develop new ways of thinking and new behaviors, the better. So I encourage that family to really rely on the experts who are in the treatment setting to be able to help guide that process and build out what that journey should look like. Yeah, I agree, Marie. I think time, time, time is the best, you know, the most positive, the best thing to happen. But the things with the family sometimes, you know, what I've heard and what I've seen is even with my family when I first kind of was trying to get this thing down is that, you know, you, you send them away for 30 days, 60 days, and the family, you know, thinks after that 30 or 60 days my, my son or daughter is going to come out and everything is going to be back to normal and, and they're going to be clean and sober and, and, and life's going to be good again just because they went in for the 30 to 60, 90 days. And we all know the after treatment and the after care, whatever that's going to be, and the change that the person has to make is the most important thing. Absolutely. And, you know, can you hit something really important is what we're, we're so focused on the identified patient, you know, the person who is in treatment for that 90-day program. But what about the family? What's going on with the family during that time? And that's just as critical, like you're indicating. Uh, to have time to be able to repair and to work through some of the dynamics that may have pre-existed in that family or in that living situation prior to the substance becoming so out of control uh, and destructive. So if we can support the family, um, and whether that's that they're engaged in a family education program through that treatment um, uh, facility, uh, that they're going to Al-Anon or Naranon, that they're participating in support groups that can help them identify some of the key pieces that are going to be needed, expectations of what to you know, prepare for, but also what they take a part in and their responsibility in the recovery process. It's a family disease, so it certainly is a family recovery plan to be developed. Absolutely. I think it's really important for that family to get their support team as well. They need support too. Everyone needs support through this. Absolutely. But I, I think, Marie, also important is, you know, is that, you know, the, the we can do what we can do all these things and everything has you know it's great but 
to go back into that same environment when you come when you come out of recovery is difficult you know it's it's kind of like uh, <clears throat> there's so much change that has to happen with the family but there's so much change that has to happen with the the person that's addicted so it's it, it's a it's a big big <clears throat> step for the whole uh the process is big it's a huge thing yeah, and, and especially for all involved to understand it is a process. Yeah. It didn't come on overnight, and it's certainly not going to resolve overnight. So the more that they understand um, and are educated about the, this whole experience, uh, what it means and, and what we can do to help uh, repair the family, the better so that they are you know, ready to go you know, through each of these steps with their loved one. And that, you know, as Shannon said, very critical is that they're getting their own help. You know, the family disease model is really important to identify here because it's not just the person who's exhibiting the behavior. We often go to that person is the problem, and that's absolutely not truly reflective of what goes on in family dynamics. It's very important to identify that each of us play a role. We're each a unit in that whole family system that all interact and are interwoven in our behaviors and our belief system. So if we are able to each take accountability and responsibility, which would mean, you know, finding um, help through our own um, support system, whether that's family, friends, but also through professional supports, as Shannon was indicating, being able to have a therapist, sometimes a psychiatrist, to be able to help sort through individually what one is struggling with or is having a difficult time managing so that when they come back into that family system, they will be healthy and, and also recognizing their role in building the health for the family, just as the individual struggling with the disease. Maria, you are, you are the best. You are the best. We love having you oh. on. If you have a question for Maria, you can visit our website at powerforward25 forward slash crosscheck, and you can ask Maria a question, and we will do our best to read it on the air. Gotta love Maria. She's the best, huh? She's always insightful. Let's get to our next guest with the Upcoming Election Day coming on November 6th, we are pleased to have Republican State Rep. Jeff Dio representing the 7th Plymouth District on the line to talk about his opioid um, initiative. Rep. Dio is running against Elizabeth Warren for the Senate and wanted him to come on and talk about his plan. With the election coming up, we thought it would be a very important thing to talk about. So welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Andy and Kevin. And I know Joe and Shannon are there. I uh, really appreciate you giving me the time to talk with people. Obviously, an important race for U.S. Senate and something that I, I have uh, been working on for over a year, talking to people and, of course, dealing with um, opioid addiction, something I've been working on for eight years in the state legislature as well. So uh, thank you very much for having me on and talking about a pretty important topic. Yeah, so can you give us some more info on, about the plan and kind of your uh, vision on trying to help fight this epidemic? Sure. I mean, I've got a plan on my website, which, by the way, is dealforsenate.com, D-I-E-H-L-F-O-R, senate.com, and it's called Hope. Pretty simple. Um, I think we need to give some people some hope here that uh, they can fight the addiction, and also we want to try to prevent the addiction, if at all possible. That's another key part of this, is just prevention. Um, look, I've been serving, like I said, for eight years as a state representative. One of the towns I, I serve is East Bridgewater, and uh, the community leaders in that town have done a great job of creating what's called a program called EB Hope, East Bridgewater Hope. And what they did was they created an intervention where law enforcement and addiction specialists, uh, uh, mental health counselors, all were on site twice a month in the town. And that model got replicated um, in 
several other towns so it's been adopted as a Plymouth County model uh, and what that did basically is provided somebody with addiction issues to come in and get immediate help themselves uh, or be referred to some specialist or maybe even go to a, a drop-in center right away or family members could come in and get counseling or get advice on how to deal with loved ones so uh, that was sort of one of the inspirations for me was a town that is doing it right and has become a model and I'll tell you, um, I don't think there's anybody in Massachusetts whose family hasn't been touched by addiction, um, by the loss of a loved one. And it's something that you know we have to end. I'm so glad the president uh, has declared this what it is, an epidemic. And I know that um, funds have been allocated to help our states federally. Uh, that's something I want to improve on as well. Um, one of the things that did pass <clears throat> excuse me, in 2016 was a bill called the 21st Century Cures. Now, my opponent, Elizabeth Warren, voted against that, but it right. had millions of dollars, millions of dollars in funding to fight the opioid crisis. So I want to make sure people know I'm an advocate on trying to uh, fight the addiction, again, before it starts and then in recovery as well. Yeah, Jeff, we um, we work with those, uh, the Plymouth Hope and East Bridgewater Cops in the HOPE program. And they, like you said, it's a great thing because, you know what, as an addict, sometimes it's hard to make that call, initial call, but when you have those places where you can walk in once or twice a month, whatever it is, if if you hurt, you can walk in right there and you can get the help. I think, I think it's so important because it's so crazy out there right now. And uh, you know, I was actually talking to Shannon today, and she she deals with a lot of these, um, a lot of these overdose things here, and she's seen people overdose twenty times. You know, and it's um, it's just so sad how bad it is out there. And I think it's important that. We educate the people, and it's important that we have these programs where people can just walk in out there. You're listening to Crosscheck Radio with your host, Kevin Stevens. We'll be right back after these messages. Having a rough time paying a bill? Be proactive and contact your creditor, and let them know that your payment's going to be late. Early communication from you will help you in the long run. Hi, I'm Kevin Chapman, and this is a financial tip brought to you by the City of Boston Credit Union. For more everyday financial tips, visit cityofbostoncu.com. City of Boston Credit Union, uniquely Boston. Federally insured by NCUA, member MSIC. Federally insured by NCUA, member MSIC. Surrounded by 71 acres of peaceful woodlands, Sunspire Health Spring Hill is a residential addiction treatment center that allows you to clear your mind and reconnect with nature as you focus on your recovery on our open residential campus. At Spring Hill, we use a wide range of evidence-based treatment methods, including medication-assisted treatment and behavioral therapies to create a plan aimed at promoting long-term recovery. In addition to your clinical treatment plan, take advantage of complimentary recovery activities in the surrounding outdoors and enjoy a comprehensive two-day educational family program, as well as the security of knowing your discharge will include a thorough, individualized plan goes well beyond our care. Spring Hill offers patients evidence-based treatment for addiction and co-occurring mental health disorders at our facility in Ashby, Mass. If you or a loved one is in need of help, please call us today at 978-254-6668. That's 978-254-6668. Or visit us at sunspirehealth.com backslash spring dash Everybody wants to earn more money, right? Hi, I'm Kevin Chapman, and I'd like to earn more money, too. That's why I take advantage of the bump-up CD specials at the City of Boston Credit Union. It's easy. If their rates go up, yours can, too. Check out all their current specials at cityofbostoncu.com. City of Boston Credit Union. Uniquely Boston. 
Funds federally insured by NCUA. Excess insurance by MSIC. Are you in need of graphics or web development? Your affordable solution is here. Square One, marketing, branding, and development. Call us today at 203-362-8120 or visit us on Facebook at Square the Number One Co. That's Square the Number One Co. We look forward to speaking with you and bringing your vision to life. Hello, this is Polly V. Y'all listen to Cross Check Substance Abuse Radio with Kevin Stevens. Welcome back to Crosscheck. I'm Andy Bernstein here with Kevin Stevens, our host, Jumpin' Joe Diaz, Shannon DeMille, and we're going to pick back up with our discussion with senatorial candidate Jeff Deal. You know, I was actually talking to Shannon today, and she she deals with a lot of these um, a lot of these overdose things here, and she's seen people overdose twenty times. You know, and it's um, it's just so sad how bad it is out there, and I think it's important that. We educate the people, and it's important that we have these programs where people can just walk in out there. No, I, absolutely. In fact, you know, one of the things on Beacon Hill we've tried to do is uh, provide Narcan um, in all uh, first responder vehicles. To, you know, that's something that wasn't up until about a year or two ago. That wasn't standard in every every uh, response vehicle, but we've made sure that that's uh, standard out there. The other thing too is. Uh, prescription drug trafficking. Uh, we've tried to make sure that pharmacies are more accountable as to who's getting uh, the prescriptions when they go in so that there isn't multiple fillings and uh, people going around to different pharmacies to try to get additional doses of drugs. So we've taken steps on Beacon Hill that's part of the process. The other thing that we've done and I voted for is, of course, increasing the capacity for recovery with more beds. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the things one of the things I've talked to uh, people about and, and people are upset about is the fact that a lot of these beds seem to be located in gateway cities away from their, their home community. And I think that takes people away from the family structure that might help them get back uh, into daily life, away from jobs so that they might be able to you know integrate back into their workforce or even education. When I first took office as a state legislator, there was a, a high school set up for, for young people children or young kids with addiction issues so they could finish out their high school degrees north of Boston, west of Boston, and in Boston, but not on the South Shore. And I was, um, you know, fortunate enough to be supportive of the Innovation uh, Academy in Brockton that's now allowed kids to finish up their degree while dealing with addiction. So, look, there's a lot of ways to help and keep people on track with their lives, which is the most important thing, letting them know that they're not lost and that they can get back into the system if they can just kick the, the habit. And by the way, speaking of Brockton, I have to mention a group called uh, Teen Challenge. It just does an amazing job, faith-based group. Um, they have incredibly high uh, success rates, and I think that the work yeah. they're doing, um, they're, not, they're not even getting federal or state funds, but they're just doing incredible work. We love them. Yeah. In fact, we have... Jeff, I, it, Joe here. Um, yeah, I'm actually a graduate of Teen Challenge. Had the chance of meeting you, and uh, I, I know you've been present at their events, and uh, you're a strong supporter and, and, and endorse what they do. Yeah, great program, and, and, and uh, I agree with everything you've been saying. A, a lot of... A lot of things that we need to focus on, but you're right. It, we're starting to put focus and energy towards it, and that's where we need to where we need to start. Yeah, and by the way, the only the other side of the coin is stopping drugs from coming into our country. I mean, just up in Lawrence about uh, three weeks ago, 
he had uh, 49 gang members that were arrested with enough fentanyl to kill half the population of Massachusetts. So what we're talking about here is uh, illegal drug trade that is really killing um, people in Massachusetts. I mean, over 2,000 overdose, overdose deaths each year on average. And we just can't have that. I mean, we have to do better. And uh, stopping the drugs before they get here is part of that. So we know that, uh, you know, I don't want to get too political, but we know that the southern border is a place where uh, heroin is being trafficked across, uh, as well as human trafficking. I want to make sure we secure the border so that the drugs don't even get into our state um, and and become so readily available. I know my opponent, again, also wants to eliminate ICE, the uh, federal agency that uh, identifies and deports those people here illegally that are committing crimes like dealing heroin. And um, we have Unfortunately, court systems, too, that are revolving doors for drug dealers. Um, there was in Salem not too long ago, Judge Feely let a um, – Tim Feely let a, a heroin dealer out, and known for years as dealing heroin in the community. Um, the judge said that you know he was just trying to earn a living for his family and that uh, if he'd been arrested because he was an immigrant, he would be deported. And he didn't want to, you know, have a catastrophe. This is a word, catastrophe for his family. Well, it is a catastrophe that's what's happening to families losing loved ones to overdose deaths each year. So we need to stop the drug flow in and punish those that are dealing death in our communities as well. Yeah, I think that's so important because, you know, I do a lot of work with the DEA guys, and they, they say the same thing. They're trying to do the best. And I know a lot of people that are up there in that Lawrence when they did that uh, – did that sweep up there but and it's so important that like we work together like you me whoever the voice is that we work together with those guys you know they can arrest everybody they can arrest the people but it's also huge about what you're doing about education and and getting to the younger people that they can't try this stuff you know that's the most important thing like you said these drug dealers they can arrest as many drug dealers as they want you know we we have to educate people and we have to do what we have to do to have that awareness, right? The, the awareness that you can't get started. You can't get started on this pain medication because it's just going to lead to catastrophe. And I think, you know, what you're doing and how you how you're trying to do the programs here, it's it's very important. Well, look, there's a great program called Drug Story Theater that's going around to high schools, and it's got kids who are actors that are actually formerly addicted, and uh, so they can speak from their heart when they're they're telling a story about what happens when kids first try it and, and ultimately get sucked into the life of using. And then, uh, of course, from the parents' perspective as well. So that's a great program. The state's funded it. I've, I've voted to approve the funding to expand that uh, around the state. But the other thing, too, is um, alternative pain medications. We need to, first of all, stop, and I'm glad we did, overprescribing too many opioid-based uh, drugs for first-time surgeries. I mean, for chronic pain, I understand people need to have a regular supply, but at the same time, for one-time first surgeries, you know, people were getting a month's worth of supplies of opioids and basically getting addicted. And young kids, too, with sports injuries, we need to go back to the days where I think doctors take a more conservative approach to what they're prescribing to surgery uh, at following surgery. And at the same time, um, also look for alternative pain uh, treatments like acupuncture. Uh, things like that could potentially divert people away from the addictive substances that get people into the cycle. There's a lot of different ways we can go. We actually just had um, Dr. Thomas Gill on talking about this very topic right before we started talking to you. So that's fantastic. I know Shannon DeMille from Cleveland Centers in Plymouth actually wants to talk. Go ahead. No, I think that what Jeff said was really important with, you know, 
PCO Hope, EB Hope, the Plymouth, the drop-in centers, they're super important. I participate in the Plymouth one every other Tuesday. I also go out on overdose responses. I do participate in a subcommittee, too, of how we're going to assess these high-risk individuals that are overdosing, like Kevin said, like 20-plus times, of how we're going to reach back out and touch them again and figure out how we can offer them help and support. And I think that what they're doing is just amazing. It's huge. And we need to make sure that this gets across Massachusetts. Yeah. You know, Shannon, and the other thing, too, is we know who these high-risk guys are and gals that are overdosing. And one of the things that didn't pass in the legislature I was hoping to do, in fact, the governor was hoping to do, was a 72-hour hold on anybody who would uh, come into a hospital with an overdose. Because, as you know, uh, first of all, they're coming in addicted. They, they overdose, and then they're given Narcan. And sometimes they can leave of their own recognizance. They go back out and use again. And because of the magnifier effect of all the Narcan and drugs in their system, they end up overdosing again. And so you, know, you want to make sure that you keep them from harming themselves while they're in that immediate recovery from the Narcan. And so I thought a 72-hour hold was reasonable. I mean, I know that people talk about civil civil rights when it comes to that, but at the same time, they're not themselves when they've, they've gone through two, uh, two rounds of drugs, the initial drug plus the Narcan. And I think that would warrant holding them until they can get clean, until a family member can show up and or a counselor can show up and intervene on their behalf and help uh, them help themselves by getting them into a program. Many times they're released back out onto the streets from the ER and they end up uh, shooting up again and then dying, and it's just tragic. Absolutely. A lot of homelessness, too. So when we are go out with a plainclothes police officer, we can't find these individuals. Um, they, they run and hide. They know where that, that we're looking for them to try to offer help. And once they leave and they check AMA out of the hospital, they leave, and then they're back on the streets, and we can't even locate them. No, I know. And look, I mean, if anybody's ever had a family member or a friend who's had a son or daughter out on the streets, they're calling all the homeless shelters. They're calling Pine Street Inn in Boston. They're just desperate to find Find them, and I just think that uh, this is such a, an incredibly devastating. It's just a devastating epidemic. There's no other word for it. And if we don't put all our resources towards it, we're doing ourselves a huge disservice because it's only going to grow. So, look, I, I, I'm hoping that if I get into the U.S. Senate, people will know that I will be that strong advocate. I have been as a state representative. I look forward to six years of doing everything I can to ending this in every way possible. And where can people learn more about you? Yep, they can go to my website, dealforsenate.com, which is D-I-E-H-L-F-O-R, Senate.com. But the other thing, too, is because we're just six days away from Election Day, if anybody wants to call and be involved in the campaign themselves, I have a phone number, which is 781-428-3190. So again, 781-428-3190 or dealforsenate.com, and they can get involved in uh, the campaign. And then, of course, when this is over and I'm fortunate enough to serve in the Senate, I look forward to uh, keep reaching out to me because I want to get in touch with you and make sure that I can help you directly in any way possible. That's fantastic. And uh love to continue to dialogue. You know, we're, we're, uh, we're pulling for you here. And, uh, you know, the uh, commitment to trying to fight this thing is incredible. So, again, we really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule with the campaign to, uh, to spend a few minutes with us. No, you know what? The fact that the four of you are there talking about this, and I, I love the fact that the stigma is no longer existing. We can talk openly about addiction, and nobody holds it against anybody. It's the right thing to do. You having a radio show and talking about it is just critical in helping uh, solve the problem. Thank well, you. Thank you very much. And uh, give your website one more time and yep, phone number. Senate.com. Yep, P I E H L F O R Senate.com and 781 428 3190. Jeff Deal, thank you.
Thanks, Jeff. Thank you all. Thanks, Thanks, Jeff. Jeff. Right. Thanks, Jeff. Good luck. You bet. Bye-bye. Thank you. We'll be back with Crosscheck. You're listening to Crosscheck Radio with your host, Kevin Stevens. We'll be right back after these messages. We at Sullivan Tire support Kevin Stevens in his quest to support those who suffer from substance abuse. Thank you, Kevin, and best of luck. Big thing that we have to offer is a ton of our staff are also in long-term recovery. Um, and the first thing that we look at is making sure that that individual comes in, feels like they're a person, that we're going to take care of them, and that we're there for them. Individualized treatment, we try and help people find a way to live a life that's drug-free a day at a time. When you're with us, you're going to get a master's clinician who is well-experienced, well-versed in addiction. You're also going to get a case manager who's going to help you basically with everything that you've missed in life due to addiction. You're going to have tons of peer support every day, but when you leave, you're a part of the Recovering Champions family. If you're looking for help to get into treatment and you'd like to use Recovering Champions and our knowledge of the system and how to access it, you can reach us a couple different ways. You can always call our toll-free number, which is 844 844- 888-5391, 844-888-5391. The other place you can find us is on the web, recoveringchampions.com. So, Kevin, you know we've been on the air for almost a year now with some great guests. One guest really changed your life. Yeah, Mike Lindell did. Yeah, with uh, my pillow. <laughs> you know, it's great because, you know, it's one of these pillows. I, I didn't really know what to expect, but it's... Uh, you, know, you put your head on that pillow, and you don't need three or four pillows underneath this pillow. You can just use this pillow. It, it comes back and forms your head. It's a great night's sleep. It's just worked for me, and nothing's ever worked for me. So this, it, it's great. That's cool. And then I guess some of your family members also like yeah, it. Yeah, everybody likes it. My kids all took one out of my car. They weren't they weren't even theirs. And my daughter, all the friends up in uh, Union want a pillow. So it's kind of like they all race home and they take naps on her bed just to use the pillow. That's awesome. So my pillow is very unique. It has a ten year warranty. It's guaranteed not to go flat. It's a 60-day money-back guarantee. It has a patented interlocking fill that adjusts to your individual sleep needs. It's washable, it's dryable, and it's made in, some would argue, it's the hockey town. Yeah, Minnesota. Minnesota. To purchase your MyPillow, you can visit MyPillow.com and enter in our promo code, POWERFORWARD25. And we're pleased to have MyPillow as a proud supporter of Crosscheck Radio. Hey, this is Sam Mettler, the creator of A&E's Intervention. You're listening to Crosscheck Substance Abuse Radio. Welcome back to Crosscheck Radio. I'm Andy Bernstein with your host, Kevin Stevens. Shannon the Mill from Cleveland Center's. Jumping Joe Diaz, right, with his I'm Terrible shirt on, which is fantastic for us, uh, for Steeler Nation out there, right? Yeah, I'm ripping Steeler Nation. We got a a really cool apparel line. It's going to be launched next week. So uh, remember this website, bleachersbrand.com. A uh, bunch of bunch of apparel. You're for like a lot Don of King. You're like Don King. You with, just without like the, the hairdo. Rumble in the jungle. You know, the thrill in Manila. You're 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 the best. How about Dr. Gill and state rep deal running for Senate. What do you guys? What say you, Kevin? Yeah, I know. I kind of kind of good time, and the kind of they kind of both hit different. You know, with um, Jeff, he's kind of talking about you know what he has to do. Like you know, doctors not prescribing, doctors less prescribing. I think Dr. Gill kind of was here earlier, and, and he kind of hit it right on the head that what we have to do and what this this epidemic is doing. He's right in. 
he sees it. He, you know, he's one of the doctors that's kind of fighting it, and he, he told us, you know, you don't need pain medication. You might need it for a day, but, you know, there's so many other ways that you can uh, go about this, this, these injuries. You know, it's not – the easy way to do it is to take the pain medication, and that's, the, and that's the worst way to do it. You know, sometimes in our society we do things the easy way, and this isn't something we have to do the easy way. When you have an injury or you're banged up, there's a way around it. There's all different kinds of ways to get healthy, and you don't need the pain medication. I think Dr. Gill hit that right on the head. And with Jeff, Jeff's, you know, he's out there trying to push all different ways to get clean and sober, you know, is trying to help people and he's trying to get programs out there. And those are the most important things about education and prevention, and, and he has a lot of great ideas also. Well, that was great, and I think that, you know, Jeff is going down the right path, really. I mean, with supporting the PCO Hope team and, you know, doing overdose responses. I think that's critical. That's really what we need to do is get out there and inform everyone and educate everyone and open our doors up to help those people that just don't know where to go and how to get help. Your county is really, Plymouth County is really far and away, it seems like, doing incredible things down there. It's really amazing. We've been doing it for three years, believe it or not, but I think just now everyone's just starting to realize what we're doing in Plymouth and how we're just trying to make... Starting to pay off. Absolutely, absolutely. We're trying to make treatment accessible to everyone. Any kind of treatment that you need is we can help you with. Yeah, Chief, uh, and I like your costume, by the way. Thank you very much. Um, Chief Bottieri and Chief Allen are doing a fantastic job with um, uh, Plymouth County Outreach and um, the great work that they're doing down there with PARI and... On that note, Joe, give us some closing thoughts. Yeah, well, first off, you know, I, I three years, right? Yeah. You guys have been working. So this started with people just passionate about making a difference. You know, parents who lost children, you know, siblings who lost a brother or sister. That's That was the grassroots start to the movement. We have politicians talking about it now. Mm-hmm. I mean, if that doesn't show you the progress that's being made and how it's finally in, in the scope and being talked about and addressed – I mean, that's awesome to see. You know, I think, uh, you know, PCO, Plymouth County Outreach, they have a new website, by the way. Which you did. Uh, yeah. Plug, 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 <laughs> yeah. plug, plug. Square plug. one, square one, PlymouthCountyOutreach.org. I mean, they're, they're adamant about making a difference, about getting the message across. People don't need to be embarrassed about it anymore. It's, it's a, a great f- model what they're doing. So It is. Yeah. So, so, yeah, Jeff Deal and Dr. Gill were great. Yeah, all good stuff. You know, like Joe just said, there's all kinds of hope out there. There's just, you know, you got to step up to the plate. you got to be willing to ask for that help and go in. You know, you can walk into these places in East Bridgewater and Plymouth and all, and you can, you can just go in and get the help you need. So, you know, if you're struggling out there, if you're, there's always a, there's a place out and there's a way out. You can also get a hot meal. So yeah. if you're not sure that maybe that you want help or, you know, food always brings people and I, in. And I want to I <laughs> plug this in, too. They're, they're looking for partners and, and meal sponsorship, mm-hmm. uh, meal sponsors to make sure that, you know, people can warm up and, and come in and have an inviting, embracing atmosphere to, you know, to get help and resources. To learn more about go, us, go visit PowerForward25.com forward slash cross check and you can learn all yeah. about what we do. And you can also check us out on pod617.com and visit us on Facebook at Power Power Forward. Yeah, at symbol Power Forward 25 will take you right to our page. Great show. Thanks to Kevin, Joe Diaz, Shannon the Mill, David Nassara behind the glass, and Kim Fro. Have a great week, everybody. You have been listening to Crosscheck Radio with your host, two-time Stanley Cup winner Kevin Stevens. Join Kevin and his team each Saturday and Sunday as we try to remove the mask of addiction.
if you or a loved one is suffering with substance use disorder, please call the Mass Substance Abuse Hotline at 1-800-327-5050. That's 1-800-327-5050. Or visit us at powerforward25.com for more information.